I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. On the show today, I've got Esperanza Teasdale. She's the VP and GM of the Hispanic Business Unit for PepsiCo Beverages North America. She's responsible for the overall Hispanic strategy, engagement, and sales for a $2 billion plus Hispanic business unit in North America. Esperanza has got an extensive history at Pepsi Beverage and began her career as a brand manager. Over the last 16 years, she's had a range of roles driving business results across brands, including Pepsi, Propel, Aquafina, and Lipton, to name a few. On the show today, we talk about what is the Hispanic Business Unit? Why was it created? What's the purpose and how is it being measured today at PepsiCo? We also talk about her understanding and and advice for driving diversity and inclusion initiatives within companies and much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Esperanza Teasdale. Well, Esperanza, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I I know in our last conversation that you are the daughter of immigrants. And I just want to start off with like, what what does that mean to you? It means that uh, they sacrificed a lot to come to the U.S. to live a better life. And it's it's a really great story where 
you know, they had to leave their country and come here and not be able to do the jobs that they held before because they didn't really speak English. So they had to take their first jobs wherever they could get them. And something that my mom told me was that when they arrived, um, remember where they came from was um, Ecuador, which is on the equator in Latin America. And it's typically super hot and humid and sometimes rainy, but hot. And when they came here, they came in the winter. So they, the first thing they had to do was buy winter coats. And um, my mother told me that they went to the Salvation Army to do that, which fast forward, the woman constantly was saying, do you have any clothes to give away? I'm going to go to the Salvation Army and drop stuff off. Do you have anything to give away? And um, I do the exact same thing all the time. And in fact, in my closet right now, I have a whole bunch of clothes that I pulled out a week ago uh, to collect stuff, you know, with my family. Say, hey, guys, let's go put some stuff in these bags so we can go donate them because someone else will need them. They shouldn't be sitting in your closet. Yeah, <laughs> that's so important. I mean, you know, in in the world today, you know, there's so much going on. I mean, obviously, <laughs> COVID and the pandemic, but um, just this ongoing conversation about, you know, equality and equity and barriers that people have to achieving the same things that others may not have, right? Yeah. The privilege, privilege that comes along with that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple as having the right winter clothes, you know? Um, so I, yeah, no, that's a great, great story, a great sentiment. And, you know, wow, you know, like what, what a great, what a great, you know, heritage to have, uh, for yourself coming to the, coming for them coming to this country and, um, and making a go of it, a successful one at that with you. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of, um, resiliency too. I, I guess that's the other word mm-hmm. that I would point out because I recall the times when my dad didn't have a job or he got hurt at work, had to be out. And, um, and then, you know, really my parents for the most of their career worked in factories. They were sub-assembly workers. So they basically had their workstation and then they had their, their project that they had to do. And then when they were done, they would give that back and do another one. But, you know, really their, their, their careers ended up being, um, you know, very blue collar, um, jobs where they had very fixed hours. And, um, as a child, I actually, um, grew up as a latchkey kid, which I didn't realize what this meant until I was probably 32 and I was in an HR conference for work and they talked about the concept, which in essence was, Hey, I kind of raised myself in the sense that my parents went to work. Then I went to school. I came home. I locked the door, stayed home until they arrived. And, uh, that was in first grade. Mm. And that continued. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't imagine my crazy children having the keys to the house (laughs) and being expected to go to school and come back and do exactly what they were told in first grade. So, (laughs) but they had to work. I mean, right. They had to work to sustain our family and I needed to go to school. So it was what it was, but wow. Like I mean, I'm, I'm a highly responsible person, as you can imagine, with that uh, with that type of history. Yeah, no, exactly. You have to be. <laughs> you had no choice. Nope. Yeah. So, 
That's amazing. Um, I mean, I, I, it was not first grade, but I was a similar latchkey kid by, I want to say second or third grade. It's a little fuzzy, yeah. but, but yeah, working mom, working dad. Yep. Um, and dad, I, they actually worked it. I don't know if you ever experienced this, but they, they worked it such that mom worked first shift, dad worked second. So, um, there occasionally, occasionally was some overlap where I would get home and dad hadn't left yet right to to go into work um mm, yeah. just depended on how how many activities i had after school mm-hmm. so yeah anyway yeah it's uh interesting to have working parents uh but to, to your point like i can't imagine my 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 daughter who's now a, a preteen or teen uh, early teen uh i can't imagine having given her the same like latitude that i was given mm-hmm. um different times yeah well let's talk about the professional path and um you are now the vp gm of the hispanic business unit for pepsico what was your path you know to get there yeah i um studied engineering undergrad for college so i was a Mm. math and science person in high school and my physics teacher mr adrian duval who actually was so important to my life that he came to my wedding, by the way. And he kind of steered me into the space, helped me with um, college application, letters of recommendation. And so I studied engineering for four years. So I've been in a manufacturing environment for a while, bump cap, steel toe shoes, uniform, union <laughs> environment. And that's really where I started my career. Um, at the same time, my company was so gracious that uh, they paid for my MBA. So um, I went to uh, UConn in Stamford, Connecticut to take classes at night and really got more exposed to concepts of business management, marketing, research, and just really loved it. And so then when I asked for a new gig, they said um, finance or sales. And I'm like, okay, sales. And then in sales, I'm like, yeah, no. I need to go into marketing because marketing guides what we're doing in sales. And I think they could do a better job. And so I was lucky that my um, general manager at the time created a job. And that was, that was the beginning of my marketing career. So very classically trained at Unilever and then Pepsi around marketing from like, you know, the analysts all the way through, you know, up till now, you know, I'm a, I'm a VPGM, which I'm, I'm really proud and excited about. And, um, and yeah, I feel like I'm in a, a really great, uh, role where I can make a, a big impact on the careers of our, of our folks, drive diversity and inclusion and drive the business results faster than general market because the population is growing so quick. So, and, uh, there's just so many things that I'm benefiting from and being in this role that, uh, that I'm really grateful about, but that's kind of the, the journey really, it was not linear at all, um, did not start off. <laughs> wanting to go into marketing, but um, that side of my brain and that analytical process orientation, I think, does give me an edge as a marketer. <laughs> to yeah, market. yeah, I think increasing edge too, um, maybe than years ago when you made the original switch. I think today it's much more analytically rigorous than it has mm-hmm. been in the past. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's phenomenal, and I've had a few folks on the show that have transitioned from engineer to sales to marketing and 
it's it's funny the way you went through that transition and how you described it because a few of them have described it similarly meaning they they went from engineering to sales and then they realized my words not yours how bad marketing screws it up <laughs> and they need to go you know help marketing try to figure that out because it you know it comes down to the sales folks at, at some level whether their marketing is getting it right or not so it's an interesting learning curve and uh, a pathway that I've heard before. So, <laughs> what what um what drove what drove the creation of the Hispanic Business Unit, and, and how are you guys thinking about like measuring success? That's a that's a big seem seemingly to me as an outsider, like it seems like a big a big thing, like a big shift in how you're organized. Yeah. This was created, I believe, in 2018 by um, Al Carey, who at the time was still at PepsiCo, one of our you know, really incredible leaders. Kirk Tanner, who's our CEO, and um, my current boss, Greg Lyons, our CMO. And they just really realized that you know, the Hispanic um, business is untapped potential. Mm-hmm. And if we have a fixed mindset about it, And we're not going to capture that growth. And um, so what's the do different? Because in the past, yeah, we had a multicultural team that uh, definitely had um, a role, but didn't necessarily have ownership. And so the do different had to be to create an organization that was dedicated to this and had the right resources. And that's what they did. And and it's been um, pretty successful ever since. The, the key measures to the other question you had really is around, hey, can we help grow faster with the Hispanic consumer than the general market? Can we help build equity with the Hispanic consumer? And, um, and those are some of the key metrics we look at. And so far, we've, we've, been, um, we've been pretty pretty successful in doing that. Hmm. Well, how have you, you mentioned multicultural marketing. How do you see, you know, multicultural marketing evolved, meaning, I mean, you've gone, I guess, at, at PepsiCo all the way to creating an entire business unit that's kind of like got its measure of in-market success. Yep. It's not it's not the historical tack-on or add-on that might have happened in the past at different organizations. How, how do you think about that evolution of multicultural marketing? I guess it's it's related to what is the current makeup of our population, uh, which is very multicultural. Um, so in, in a way, like our, everything we do should be multicultural because that's the fabric of our country. Um, but that's not always that embrace necessarily in that way. So, um, so I think it's come, it's come a long way to recognize that you do need dedicated resources to unlock it to learn about that consumer um, really intimately in order to then figure out how to drive the right cultural relevance. Um, you can't do one size fits all. You can't assume that, okay, well, you know, Hispanics in this case, right, are, are part of the general market. So general market stuff should work, um, should, you know, resonate just as well, right? But the reality is, is that you know, if you look at like Hispanic segmentation, there's different things going on depending on someone's um, background, story, 
you know, I gave you a little bit about what the narrative was for my family. There's a story behind every Hispanic, every multicultural consumer that is in this country. And so understanding that can help you then better connect to those emotional, you know, subconscious cues in their mind to then build your brand, build relevancy. So um, one size fits all is not, is not going to work. So how it's evolved is that it's getting even more personalized. It's getting even more specific. So even saying multicultural marketing is probably not correct because no, it's Hispanic marketing. And within Hispanic, double click. It's Mexican from LA versus Mexican from El Paso or Ecuadorian from New York or Cuban from Miami, which might be different from Tampa. Like it's real localization now. And that I think is the unlock to really building brands longer term. Hmm. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, to uh, make a really bad analogy, you know, like not all Caucasians are the same either, yes. <laughs> right? Like, 100%. you know, and it, 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 maybe we should be, maybe we should be thinking about it with the more rigor that you've got. And, and to your point around like the population is more diverse and it, I think we're moving in this direction where I can't remember the exact forecast, but there's a, a long-term potential that like we will be, uh, you know, white people, so to speak, Caucasians, they will be the minority at some point, like, because, um, people of color, um, altogether will outnumber, um, them, which is new for our country. Um, not new for many other places in the world. Right. Um, but, uh, it's, yeah, it, it, it makes perfect sense. I guess the, you know, as we think about like how you're approaching the Hispanic market, like what, what do you see as best practice right now? Like what's, what's the, best way to attack it. I mean, it sounds like it's not treating the Hispanic population as one homogenous group, like you said, but like, I'm just curious what else there might be that you could share that you're working on or you think is best practice. Yeah. You know, P and G probably comes to mind as just incredibly insightful mm. um, and a lot of best practice. So Mark Pritchard for sure. Um, is a champion of diversity and inclusion, mm -hmm. not only for their broader organization internally, but for the industry mm -hmm. and what they're doing, right? He's really taken on the responsibility for advertisers to really step it up and drive cultural relevance. So I think that he, he's done a tremendous job evangelizing that in the organization and then resulting in campaigns that are extraordinarily beautiful and rich and meaningful, um, not just for Hispanics and African-Americans, but for LGBTQ, for, um, for, for so many different consumer groups and done it in a really um, thoughtful way. And, and so that's definitely a company that I've been looking at through the work I do as like, wow, like they, they really um, have done a great job really making this part of almost like their company and go to market, you know, like, right. and, and, um, and to be honest, I don't know if they have a Hispanic business unit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if they do. I think he's just kind of taken the mindset and said, Hey, this, hmm. this is the landscape of who our consumer base is. We need to reach them in the most relevant way. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not 100% sure either if they do or don't. Um, mm-hmm. I do know that like he he's even gone through uh, on a personal level kind of a self self-discovery process that like and sharing his own heritage of you know having a a, you know i can't remember if his mom or dad but there's mexican heritage on one side or the other and um almost like hiding it for a period of time and and then you know coming to the realization that like this is not something i should be hiding like this is Mm -hmm. something i should put out there this part of me and part of who i am and and so i think I don't know if that precipitated all of the other aspects of what you described, but I know that's he's on, been on a personal journey as as well as a business journey. Mm, yeah, um, I've heard so, a little bit of that. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Well, how we've just been talking about the changing population dynamics with um, with the U.S. in particular, and you know, eventually, do you feel like? the Hispanic business unit, maybe not Hispanic business unit, but do you feel like this notion of how we go to market to serve varying populations, does it just mean that we need to change everything that we do as it relates to go to market? You know, meaning that like your Hispanic business unit becomes the way of the future, not something that's different or separate. Like we're talking about it right now. Yeah. Does that make, um, does that make sense? It, it does. And, my boss, Greg Lyons, and I have talked about this too, in that, you know, in a perfect world, right, all marketers have this keen sense, um, you know, almost like spidey sense for for really <laughs> understanding um, and having enough consumer empathy that what they do provides the the cultural relevance required based on the different cohorts. But until that is true, the Hispanic business unit, for example, serves as a champion of that, a champion as to why um, we need to be more culturally relevant. How do we do that? How do we measure that? So that folks start to really say, wow, like this drives business results. We, we have to do this. We have to start including these insights into our brand strategies to then lead to annual plans and execution. And until that happens, like, you know, unilaterally, you still need a team that's really, really going to build the muscle to help almost like teach and um, inspire the organization. Um, But, uh, but yeah, we've talked about that, like longer term. Yeah. People get it. And people do that in a, in a, in a, in a standard way because um Mar- mar- marketing you would call is multicultural marketing nowadays it's not right general market marketing <laughs> like it's yeah everything like for for all marketing right we look for that sweet spot of the of the consumer need the brand and the cultural context that cultural context is diverse so so and that's true go going forward right like it's it's true so that would should then lead you to to a place where where you're solutions and your comms are all capturing the 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 bigger picture in a meaningful way yeah that makes sense i mean it seems like a a long-term play uh Mm -hmm. meaning that eventually it may come back together again uh, or be the new model so to speak um of how we should be thinking about marketing to the population that is changing yeah um and maybe it's not that different than 
you know, companies that stand up new business models as, you know, business units. Um, and then ultimately that <laughs> new business model eats the prior business model's lunch. Um, and they become the new way that the company runs. Um, you know, so maybe that's the evolution too that we're talking about in some respects. It's new, definitely, regardless of what it is, is new muscles that need to be built currently. And, uh, how, how has, how has the business been impacted this year, given all of the things that have gone on in 2020? Yep. Well, early on, you know, we definitely paused um, a lot of things, mm -hmm. especially on the communication and side, because the moment was on so uncertain and so um, challenging for people. Mm -hmm. um, and really between, you know, COVID and all of the um, systemic racism issues. So we were really thoughtful about like, well, hey, like, what's the right message to go out and when? So, um, and, you know, what, what we did a lot of this year is, is study on a regular basis, like what's the impact of COVID to consumers? So on one hand, you know, we definitely were paying attention to what was happening from a statistical standpoint, right? Whether it's CDC or what have you, but then we were also double clicking on the consumer's mindset, on their sentiment, mm -hmm. on their experience. And what our team did was, is, you know, we, we, we've got so many different reports from so many different sources that we created two, you know, kind of summary decks where we provided the COVID impact on Hispanics because we hadn't necessarily seen that come through. And it was important for us to flag because overall communities of color are being disproportionately impacted. Mm -hmm. um, they're frontline workers, essential workers. They don't have the luxury of staying home. In many cases, if some of them um, lost their job, they may not have received unemployment. <clears throat> yeah. And that impacts not only how they support their family here, but how they support their family elsewhere out of the country. So it's almost like this double, you know, whammy of like, my goodness, like this is, this is really taking a toll on me, you know, needing information in language, um, became really important. And the first, you know, set of info that came out from CDC wasn't in Spanish. So you've got a good chunk of the population <laughs> right. that kind of needed to know things and yeah. needed to provide in Spanish. So, um, so the Unidos US advocacy group, I believe, you know, petition the CDC to translate, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and but as we were seeing all of that unfold, you know, at the core, you've got a very resilient group of people who have gone through quite a bit likely to come to this country, given up a lot in the hopes for something better. So the idea of COVID was like, okay, how do we deal with this? And hey, I'm optimistic that things will get better. And so, so that's, you know, kind of the things that we would express back to our organization and then kind of say, well, what do we do about that? So what do we do? We try to put out positive messaging, try to be in language, try to be in media that we know they're consuming, right? So mobile and, and digital is super um, easy and accessible more mm -hmm. than, um, and, and really more important than the rest of us, right? The rest of us, I'm sure we have multiple devices, phone, right. tablet, iPad, desktop, um, Google Assistant, whatever. But for Hispanics, like especially like when we're talking about you know frontline essential workers and 
um, and a bit more blue collar, I can get to a phone probably a little bit easier financially than buying all these other tech stocks. Right. So mobile just is really a lifeline. Hmm. And so it just really impacted then how we thought about balance a year messaging as well as 2021. And realizing yeah. that value is going to be critical to the Hispanic consumer base, especially since, you know, they're struggling the most right now with other communities of color. And then how then does that influence what we do from a marketing standpoint? So we basically pivoted pretty quick and in August launched a um, campaign called Pepsi Unmute Your Voice, which was basically recognizing that a lot of multicultural youth you know, have a ton of passion for their community, but they don't think their voices will be heard. Um, and there was also a lot of, you know, uh, information kind of that was confusing them um, around uh, registering to vote. And so we took the opportunity to say like, hey, well, your voice does matter. And um, if you think about it, the, the, the cultural nuance was that, hey, we're all on Zooms, WhatsApp, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you inevitably have that moment of like, I can't hear you. You're on mute. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And that if you don't exercise your right to vote or register to vote, then your right to vote, then it's the same as speaking as a mute. No one can hear you. So um, that was a really proud moment for us to, to come up with that idea and to launch it at a moment where um, it was really needed and required. And so, um, so that's a, a, an example of, hey, how did it affect our business? Well, it affected what we wanted to say. Hmm. That's a great example. And, um, I, and a pretty amazing campaign too. Not to mention, I mean, just because of the ability to pivot during a, a pretty sensitive time, mm-hmm. but to help give a voice to those that don't feel like they have a voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, that's amazing. What, what are you guys looking forward to in 2021 in the hopes? I mean, I hope like everyone probably that like we can get control of the pandemic and at least that portion of change that we've experienced um, starts to starts to become seemingly more normal eventually, but what are you guys thinking about for 2021? Yeah, we're, um, we're definitely thinking about how our brand can help lift up the, the, the Hispanic community. Mm. So similar vein in this space of, you know, unmute, unmute your voice, you know, unmute your future, but how, how do we lean into the communities that need us the most? Mm. Because 
that's going to take a while to recover. And, um, you know, our company, and, and I have to say, like, you know, I'm really proud to be a PepsiCo employee this past year. You know, we, we made a commitment to a, a black racial equality journey mm-hmm. uh, in the summer. And then we came back for Hispanic Heritage Month and Ramon La Huerta made um, a similar commitment for Hispanic. And so, um, you know, how, how do we, you know, then help bring this company commitment down into the marketplace and into the communities where they need our help the most? So there's a big elevation of that work and the importance that that work is going to have. So, so we're definitely going to spend a lot of time there in addition to, you know, higher level brand building initiatives and business driving solutions. But I think the piece that a lot of us are just really excited about is the community piece, right? Like Mm -hmm. so many people want to do more. Like if anything, this past year has brought forward this empathy of, you know, the U S population more than ever and, and unlock people's real passion inside for something. And that could be education. It could be, you know, helping with food scarcity. It could be with anything, sustainability, but um, that's probably been the most incredible thing that majority of folks are like, what can I do? I want to help. And, um, and so I'm excited to see what, what we do with that. And that's probably going to be some of the most meaningful work we'll ever do as marketers, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's, um, there is this rumble, if you will, of community and, and passionate, um, engagement, uh, for various initiatives to your point. Like it, it's not one thing, just like we're talking about, you know, these demographics are not one you know demographic. They, they have many different interests, but it is interesting to think about how could you harness or help enable or empower those communities to to achieve even more than they may be able to do on their own and i imagine the loyalty or the you know the relationships that you'll ultimately build and the the brand effects back to pepsi you know overall um and pepsico overall would be pretty interesting to try to figure out Um, Mm -hmm. but doing it with the you know the right reasons like how do we just help the community first and be a part of what's going on. I, I can't help but think like, you know, companies like PepsiCo, I'd put Pe- Procter and Gamble in this, in this, um, in this vein as well. Like, you know, you're in every single household, most likely at any given time, right. <laughs> in the United States, um, or have been right. Like, um, at some point somebody has consumed one of your products and, you know, as we think about the changing demographics of just the landscape of the society, there are growing tensions, right? Like whether it's social injustice, whether, um, you know, the divide uh, and barriers that we put in place systemically, you know, to, um, you know, us as kids, right? Being latchkey kids, right? But, you know, childcare <laughs> is a passionate issue and also a barrier to many many folks out there in the world right now but it it surprises me frankly getting back to you and and pepsico and and png is that because your products serve so many people you serve the fabric of the united states like it makes sense that you would have to engage in in many of these things um and try to find the right way to do that but at the same time it, it it's a 
I would imagine at some days it feels like a huge barrier, like a huge hurdle, like a huge weight that you're carrying around to, to as a marketer, knowing that knowing that that's the case. But I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. It's just something I'm reflecting on as we keep talking about things. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm following you. I mean, when we did the um, the voting campaign, you know, it was really important for us to be nonpartisan. Yeah, do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And um, and there was a lot of conversation around that. There's a lot of conversation around that because with a brand as ubiquitous as ours, it's the name on the door. Right. Uh, there's a lot of risk, but it was the right message to to have. And um, and 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 you know that's that's the decision then that we made. And yeah. and I, and I was incredibly proud of our senior leaders who said, you know what, this is the right thing to do. We have to do this, go. And, um, and, and so, so that, that was definitely a, a really formative experience and proud moment, as I had mentioned, as we think about where we go as marketers, you know, how do we fulfill this opportunity we have, you know, as a company like ours, um, where we've got, you know, strong resources to really, you know, do, do the, do the right thing when we can, when it makes sense in the right way. Right. Yeah. Like if yeah. that's, that's a way more purposeful place for us to be. And yeah, you know, folks could argue like, well, is it your place to do that? And that, well, you know, <laughs> like if not us, then who, I mean, I, you right. know, we, we, um, we, we, uh, we are brand builders and we can reach lots of people to your point. So why not reach them with a, with a, with a positive message? Mm-hmm. Like, why not? But, um, but it, it's a, it's a delicate area. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky, it can be tricky too, mm-hmm. um, you know, to execute and execute well. Yep, yep. Well, before we switch gears entirely, I, I, I do want to ask you about like just your general thoughts on diversity and inclusion and, you know, advice that you give, you would give other executives, you know, um, or things that, that you do yourself. Um, I mean, we've talked about the business that you lead is, is really about serving a diverse group, but like bringing that back inside the work environment that you're working in, just curious, any advice you might share? Yeah, I, um, so as a Latina executive, I take a a lot of responsibility in bringing others along, Mm. um, in helping to very actively drive talent that we recruit, uh, retain, because I feel that I have a responsibility to do that. And, you know, the, the company is asking for us to drive more diversity and more leadership roles that are multicultural. Um, so, so I'm committed to that. And I feel really fortunate to be in the seat that I'm in that I can influence that. So um, I really, really care about that a lot because you know, again, this all goes back to like parental journey um, mm-hmm. as well. Like they had other people helping them along the way. I know they did because I met a lot of those people. Some were family, some were friends. So, you know, the concept of giving back and being really caring about community and others and empathetic, like it's, it's just natural for me. So I am really actively involved in our Adelante ERG, which is our employee resource group where um, 
we have incredible talent that, that does incredible work in addition to their day jobs, whether they're in finance or sales or marketing, supply chain, IT, as well as um, helping to build the plans and playbook for the Hispanic racial equality journey. Mm. So, um, you know, my, my hope is that I continue to contribute to all those efforts that really will help us make a difference internally and externally because I've benefited from other folks putting their hand out for me and giving me a seat at the table. And so the advice I would say to folks is like, you know, you don't have to wait for someone to ask you to take a seat. You could take it yourself, (laughs) create it yourself. But once you're there, you better, you better do everything you can with that. Cause that's an opportunity not to miss. And, uh, and, and I think I mentioned this story too, when we first talked, but, um, I had one of my, um, one of my great friends and mentors and sponsors and, um, incredible, um, supporters, uh, uh, John Short, who I went to a meeting that I wasn't originally invited to, but I did all the content and I did all the prep, but it was very limited audience because it was just CEO to CEO. So it was like three people from each side. I'm like, okay, no problem. But I got dressed the next morning. I put on my suit. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to show up anyway, because what if something happens with the computer, the, the, the deck, who knows what? Right. So I went and sure enough, like they didn't have the content on the deck, the de- you know, someone's computer wasn't working. I'm like, okay, I got this. We can use my computer if you want. So I set it up and then I left the room and John's like, well, wait, here, come over here. And so we walked in the room and he's like, look, there's a seat open at the front of the table. You should sit there today. And I'm like, get out. <laughs> and, but if I didn't go that morning, right? I, I mean, that would have never happened. So I showed up. Now he invited me to sit, <laughs> but I showed up. And so I guess that's what I would say. Like people just got to show up and then, and then just do, <laughs> and don't wait for someone to ask you to come. Like, right. you know, put yourself out there. Um, be vulnerable. That's probably the biggest word, right? You know, Brene Brown is all around vulnerability. And that's hard. That's really hard for people. But hey, you know, no risk, no reward, you know? Like, so anyway, so that's something I would say to people is just put yourself out there and be vulnerable. I love it. And as great advice um, of just showing up, you know, showing up prepared, um, ready to go in, yeah. in case you get that moment <laughs> to shine or I, to take, take your seat. Totally. hundred percent, hundred percent. And there's another, another, I'll say it quick. So there's yeah. another example of where I had someone else being very kind to me where I just had gotten this job. And I had just finished a really, really big meeting with a customer. And that was my last meeting with that job. And then my next meeting was presenting to our CEO, Ramon, and (laughs) the executive leadership of the company. And so here I am prepping for it, literally like the day before. And we're flying back together with another senior executive, uh, incredible lady, Grace Puma. And so... I said to her, I said, oh, you know, I'm presenting tomorrow, our plans. You know, do you have any advice for presenting to you guys? Because <laughs> I, I haven't seen you guys in a while. I don't know, Ramon. And she says, well, you want to review your deck? Let's review your deck. Come on <laughs> over here. So I sat next to her. I reviewed the deck with her. And she gave me some advice. 
And then, um, and, 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 and I was like blown away. I was blown away, but had I not told her, had I not said a word to her, mm-hmm. I probably would have never gotten anything. So fast forward the next day, I get up, it's my turn to present to Ramon. I'm presenting to Ramon, everything went great and everything. And, um, and, and then at the end, you know, like, you know, Grace says, well, we just need to make sure that, um, that we give her funding and autonomy to do what we've brought her in to do. <laughs> like get out and then afterwards you know that was like boom mic drop like you know senior executive basically said that to everybody in the room and so y'all gotta let her do what she needs to do and um and then afterwards like you know uh you know she came over to me and then ramon came over to me and it was like a i can't believe this just happened to me moment <laughs> but had i not asked her or in, or, or put myself out there to her Mm-hmm. on the plane to tell her that who I was and I was presenting. And she knew, she knew I was presenting. She, cause she said to me, yeah, yeah, no, I know you're on the agenda. I saw that. So I was like, Oh, <laughs> so anyway, again, second moment of like, you just gotta be vulnerable and put yourself out there. Right. That's that funny. Yeah. That's wild. Well, you may have described one of these moments, but I, I'll, I'll transition, I'll transition to, to my next question, which is my favorite question to ask. But um, I can't imagine that that story you just told uh, about Grace and representing to Ramon wouldn't be one of these uh, experiences. Um, but it, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Gosh, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. Uh, what else? Goodness. I mean, y- yeah, like I... <laughs> this is going to kind of sound sad, but I don't mean to bring it down, but like I've lost both my parents already. Um, yeah, and yeah. my mother was, was very, very sick with, uh, with cancer. And the third time she didn't beat it, but that whole experience, um, it was devastating, Yeah. but my mother was never alone. You know, it, it was for me to take that role to take care of her. And, and that's what I did. And, um, and so I learned a lot in general about myself, about my family, you know, cause then you start talking about all these things like, Oh, remember when, you know, like, <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, no, you never told me that. And it's like, Oh, okay. Um, and man, it was just, um, it was so sad in so many ways, but she was never alone. And I, and I was never alone. My parents were always with me and took care of me. So that really was the culmination of everything they had done for Mm -hmm. me, for me to then do for her and then to do for my dad. And so that's probably one of the experiences that, you know, losing parents is like, it's the suckiest part of life. But, but I, I feel like I did what they hoped I would do and um, what they taught me, you know, which was to, it was, it was for me then to take care of them. And I, uh, and I, and I, and I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed doing that. Um, and so, yeah, so that, but that's a big part of like how I am just like as a, as a, as a person mm-hmm. in general that I think plays out in like, you know, how, how I am with people, whether they're on my team or cross-functional or, or whatever. Um, I feel really, responsible for doing the right thing and in the right way and really being empathetic to people 
And it's funny because like whenever like there's conflict or anything in between other people or situations, I always step back and say like, oh, there must be something else going on. You know, (laughs) always something else that's driving that, you know, some sort of tension or anxiousness between people. There really is. There's, there's got to be. And so I try to think through it in that way because they could be going through something big, medium or small that is just impacting them too. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it makes me more human. So the, I think I bring, I try to be as, bring as much humanity to the things that I do, which I hope is helpful and appreciative of people. But yeah, yeah. no, I pre- appreciate you sharing that story. And yeah, it's a, it's, it's quite the experience. And, um, you know, good, good that you you've taken away the best parts of it, I guess. Yeah, and I will tell you, um, small world. So Mr. Finlow was, um, yeah. was my boss at the time. Ah, okay. When my, yeah, yeah. When my mom was really sick, and I mean, talk about like a great boss. <laughs> Scott was just so empathetic and supportive. I'll never forget him for that. Like mm. he'll always be a really important person that I'll always remember and reflect on and appreciate because he was just so, uh, so supportive during that time. And you would hope people would be right in a company, right. but you know, Scott really was just, uh, incredible. That's awesome. Well, if you were starting your career, your path all over again, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, I mean, if someone reaches their hand out for help after they've kind of done you wrong, (laughs) um, take their hand, take their hand, because that's their way of saying, I'm sorry, and I'm here to help. And it doesn't help when you don't take their hand. And then next thing you know, they, you know, continue to, to, to grow in an organization and do more and more and more. And you didn't take their hand, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so that would be my, one of my things like, take, take their hand. That's okay. Everybody's human. Everybody learns in different ways. Everybody responds in different ways, but, uh, but don't, uh, don't say no or poo poo someone who puts their hand out to help you out. That's a, that's a really good piece of advice. And one that we have not gotten on the show. Um, <laughs> and, and frankly, it's probably really hard to do, you know, like it, it, it takes, um, especially if you, you know, somebody, if it's somebody that has, you know, like you said, done you wrong or, or just not treated you well as, as well to, to take the high road. Um, mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Well, my next question is probably the silliest question I ask anyone, but I'm building my shopping list based on what people tell me. Um, is there been an impactful purchase of a hundred dollars or less over the say last six to 12 months that you've made? Yes, I bought my, so I, um, really love orange theory fitness. I, uh, go three days yeah. a week. Um, <laughs> however, I, I have like the COVID 10 pounds on me, but yes. I've bought myself in, um, an armband, which has like a, a digital, um, uh, receiver. Mm. Um, and I think that was about a hundred bucks. I just changed my, uh, my tool, if you will, my, my tech. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, um, it, it, it tracks like your, your, 
yep. activity level, that kind of stuff. Yeah, cool. tracks my performance cool. in class. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> Very cool. Well, last two questions for you, more marketing focused. I'm curious if there's brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of. Yeah. So I recently was a um, uh, association of national advertisers judge for the multicultural awards. Oh, yeah. So I got to see a lot of incredible work in the industry in different categories, of course, but one of the pieces of work that was really, really impactful was the, um, the MasterCard initiative where they created, um, you know, a card for, um, for kids, people uh, that were transgender and they could have their true identity on the card. Hmm. And, and, and that was something that is difficult for, for them to have with other traditional documentation, right? So right. a birth certificate is, is what it is. Um, a driver's license would be based on your birth certificate. There's a lot of things that I guess cannot be changed, mm-hmm. but this was a way for MasterCard to recognize like, no, like you are who you are. So this, this could be your, you know, this, this card will reflect your true identity. Interesting. And yeah. the campaign was just powerful. Like talk about 360 um all all over from from advertising, from I believe they were a part of the Pride Parade in New York, mm-hmm. um, tons of PR, a lot of celebrities, you know, celebrating that this was um that this was available, but it just um it took a, a consumer truth as 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 hard as it was and said no we're we're gonna we're gonna find a solution hmm. so that that work was just really incredible incredible to see it to be really Love really that. thoughtful yeah I, I haven't seen the work yet i have to go find that out um and take a look well, last question for you what do you feel like is the you could either go opportunity, the largest opportunity or the largest threat facing marketers today. I would say the largest opportunity would be having a fixed mindset. (laughs) So we're all talking internally around growth mindset and how beneficial it is. And it's an idea too, that I feel like, for me, leading this team that, again, is still relatively new, mm-hmm. it helps us reframe things that may have been done in one way in the past. Oh, but last time we did this, it didn't work. Right. Well, this is why it's not going to work. Or when we tried it here, you know, to kind of say like, well, but like, you know, but you got to think about things differently. Right. can think about them the same way. So, um, so I've been, I've been using this concept of growth mindset a lot as, as we think about how we position things, how we communicate to people, um, you know, and, and drive more learning and Mm -hmm. listening, you know, which is, which is tough in an org that has lots of people and lots of history and lots of tenure, but, um, but it's just a, a way to push new thinking 
Um, so, so that's something I would say is marketers need to have a growth mindset, not a growth. fixed mindset. Yeah, no, I think that's hugely important. And, you know, I would imagine with a relatively new org, you know, you're trying to drive change, uh, at scale <laughs> and man, it's my like pet peeve to hear, well, we've tried that before, you know, or we've, we've tried, you know, we've done that before. It didn't work. Um, I'm like, yeah, but today's a new day. You know, <laughs> today the context may be a little different. The world is different today than it was before. You mm-hmm. never know. Let's take a chance together. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I agree. Well, Esperanza, it's been phenomenal having you on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. I appreciate you inviting me and um, I hope we we stay in touch and we talk again. All right. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Marketing Today.